Welcome to the Decades of Strength podcast. We are Kim, Marcy, and Katie. We are three women on one mission. We are obsessed with empowering women to gain confidence, build strength, and ditch feelings of unworthiness. So grab your chair, come sit at our table, and let's talk. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another Decades of Strength podcast. Katie Crocus here. I will be your host today, standing, sitting, viewing alongside Kim Schlag and Marcy Nevin. Ladies, how are you today? Hello. How, how are you, Marcy? <laughs> I'm well, Kim. How are you? Good. <laughs> Wow, that you, was a really awkward beginning. I don't know why. Well, that. you know, this, <laughs> it, sometimes that happens. Sometimes it's just not smooth sailing. And I think it's a really good metaphor <laughs> we're going to talk about today because yeah. Lord knows, you know, when you, when you tighten things up and really work on the foundation of things. Um, and I like to start with a nighttime routine I found makes my days just better. It's so funny how like we think daytime and morning routine is like everything. And for me, I'm realizing like, well, shit, if I haven't figured it out by morning, it's like, it could be a lost cause. Like nighttime matters, but we'll get into all that. Let me just yes. check in with you ladies first. Anything new with you, Kim? Um, anything new with me? Okay. So here's something new with me. I talked on my stories yesterday about how I don't like watermelon. And usually mm -hmm. when I say that people like, they act like I literally just said, I hate babies or I hate puppies. <laughs> like they're so horrified by me. Like, and I don't, know almost anyone in real life who doesn't like watermelon. But when I mentioned it, my inbox was just flooded with all these other people who are like, me too, me too. I don't like watermelon. Uh, and then the other thing my inbox was flooded with was suggestions on what to do to the watermelon. I'm not interested in putting cayenne on my watermelon. Um, mm. I don't do cayenne anyway, because of my, uh, the irritation it gives to my stomach. So no, but then ever, a lot of people suggested salt. And so we did that at dinner last night. And let me tell you, I still don't like watermelon, but it did make it taste better. And my son who really likes watermelon thought it like really upped the watermelon game oh. with salt. And then I missed one. Um, and I just saw it this morning and she said, put some lime juice on it while it's still in the fridge and then take it out and put salt on it. So I'm going to try that one. I'm giving it one more go of this round. I, I do this seasonally, like every summer I try a couple of times because, you know, they say more exposure guys. Yeah. I've had to learn to like every vegetable under the sun and I've been able to do it, but I still can't make myself like watermelon. So I'm going to try one more time this summer with some lime juice on my watermelon. Okay. I'm, I'm fascinated by this because <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually do love watermelon. It's probably not my favorite fruit, but it's up there. Now I will say it depends really like any fruit on the, like the consistency of it, yeah. the flavor you of it. You gotta get a good one. Yeah. You gotta get a flavorful one because you know, like bad apples, like the right. bready apples, Nobody like you, likes can get, you can get a bready watermelon too. And it's yeah. just, so I made sure because one, one of my kids or my husband was like, Whoa, this is a good watermelon. And I was like, Oh, this is one I'll try then. Right. Cause I don't want to try a bad one. So yeah, I had it on good authority. The one I tried was a good one. And so I'm curious though, what don't you like about watermelon? I don't think it's sweet enough. Like it doesn't taste like when I bite into an apple or a grape or any fruit, I feel like there's this amount of sweetness that I want in watermelon. And I don't think it's there. Mm. It's a lot of water though, sweet. isn't it? Like, I feel like I take a bite and it's like instantly I have to swallow like I took a sip of water. So yeah, it's very water. It definitely is watery, but it's not usually the consistency. Like I don't like biting into an apple and having that like mealy kind of, that's yeah. gross. 
but I haven't had that with watermelon. It's literally, I just think the flavor is not there enough. It's just like, where's the rest of it? I'm with you. I have the same feelings on watermelon. Like I just don't get excited about it, but I know people do it with salads a lot. And I feel like I might like it more Mm -hmm. if it was like with mint and feta and like- I should try that, Katie, because that always looks really interesting to me. The mint Mm. Okay, that's a good thing. That's a good way to try it. Mint, yes. Mint and watermelon is really good. Like I don't love feta. I would probably do it with goat cheese. Okay, yeah, I love that too. Yeah, so maybe give that a try. But I will say, and one of the reasons I got so excited about what you were talking about is I put salt on pretty much everything or in everything because you're right, it enhances the flavor. So I put salt in my protein smoothies, in my coffee, in my tea, uh, sometimes on my fruit, definitely watermelon. Uh, Salt is also really good on cantaloupe. So- Yeah, I don't like any of the melon family. Yeah, I think that you're just getting bad melons. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm telling you, my family raved about this watermelon and I'm super interested in being a person who likes watermelon because it's, I really like festive stuff, like, right. And like, I like, I like buying cute little tea towels with watermelons yeah. and like yeah. pots yeah. with the watermelon. So it's cute and fun and festive cute. and summery. And I want to be a part of it. And I just can't. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> and I like love candy corn. I buy all the crap with candy corn, but I can't <laughs> eat the shit. Like I just, sorry for all the, I got to not swear, but I don't know why I can't, I cannot embrace candy corn, but I love I, I know. Katie, I like candy corn for like three bites every fall. I'm like, oh, candy <laughs> corn. And like, I like it, but like, I would never, you can leave a bag of candy corn sitting on my counter open, like a bowl of it. And I would take like two and probably never have any more until it was stale. You know, it doesn't do it for me, but I have had clients before that that was their thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I couldn't get enough of candy corn. That's funny. Oh, interesting stuff. Well, well, we definitely all have our things. This lady, should we get right into it today? Yeah. Not right into it. <laughs> get into it now. Actually, today's podcast is going to be the sleep episode. If you listened last week, we did the hunger episode. And while we were talking about it, we, of course, you can't talk about hunger without talking about sleep, at least a little bit. The two are definitely connected. And so we decided that we could actually do an entire podcast, an entire episode on sleep. There's just so much to say about it, but let's briefly dive in. We all have our own stories about challenging times with sleep, whether it's been past or present. So let's get right in. Uh, Mars, do you want to start us off? Talk us through an experience you've had with sleep in the past that's been pretty chaotic? Sure. So I feel like I was always a good sleeper, you know, high school, college, even up until I would say my late 20s. And then I would say early 30s, it really started to go downhill. And I don't know exactly why that was. I mean, I'm assuming it was stress related because when I was, I think it was like third, I was 30 when I went through my divorce. So I think that really triggered things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, pretty much from 30 to, I would say 36, maybe 37, even because I'm 38 now, like I have struggled off and on with my sleep. I mean, there were nights where I was up at, I would wake up at like two and be tossing and turning or just staring at the ceiling, not being able to fall back asleep until right, essentially I had to get up to go to work because at the time I was still an in-person trainer. So I had clients at 6 a.m. And I don't know if a little bit of it was that sleep anxiety. So knowing that you have to get up early and then worrying that you're not going to be able to sleep. And so like you wake up and then you're doing that thing like, oh my gosh, if I, if I fall asleep right now, I'll get three hours or whatever. And so kind of doing that math in your head, but that was a very 
stressful time. And then I was also just going through a bunch of other stress in my personal life. Um, post-divorce that was complicating things. I got into a new relationship and when either like when he and I moved in together or whenever I was at his house sleeping, he snored like a freight train. And so that is just so disruptive. And it got to the point when we lived together, like I couldn't deal with it. And so thankfully we had a two bedroom apartment and I went into my office. I bought myself a futon and I slept, I slept on that futon for two years. Um, probably another reason why I wasn't sleeping very well. Right. Just like so uncomfortable. Yeah. Futons are Um, not comfy. No, no, no. So, but I think that there was just maybe like some internal stuff going on with my health that was exasperating the sleep issues because I've really been working hard on it for, I mean, for a long time now, but it seems like things are starting to turn the corner. I do not sleep through the night. I cannot tell you the last time I slept through the night without waking up at least once, but at least it's better now. Like the times where I wake up and am tossing and turning for hours are like very, very few and far between. So that is good. So you can fall back asleep relatively easily now, even if you do get up. Yeah. Yeah. I can fall back asleep relatively easily. And yeah, I don't know exactly what it is. You know, I'm sure there's a combination of many factors, but I think it was a couple nights ago, you know, I woke up and for no reason, I just was having a hard time. And then I do the really, <laughs> I do what I know I should not do. I grab my phone and I'm like, Oh, let's scroll Instagram and see what people are doing on the West coast or on the East coast. <laughs> That's um, right, because half of us are already out. There, there was like, there right. was the funniest, oh my God, there was the funniest meme going around last week and I'm going to butcher it, but essentially it was like, um, oh, let me try to fall asleep, you know, with this bright light that has all of the information that like at the, at your fingertips. Um, oh, I can't remember exactly what it was like and see if it can like lull me into a peaceful slumber, mm-hmm. but like essentially you know, getting on your phone, it's emitting the bright light. You have access to so much information, whether it's the news or Instagram. And like, you really think that's going to be the thing that puts you back to sleep. <laughs> but Mars, I love that. I mean, I so relate to that. I'm actually making a note to like put a pin in that. Cause I want us to come back and talk about that some more. Um, cause I feel like it's a go-to for all of us. All three of us have admitted to doing that in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's switch over to Kim real quick. Kim, talk to us about your experience with sleep. So typically, uh, historically, I'd been a great sleeper. I fall asleep in cars very easily, which makes me a terrible driver. <laughs> I even when I'm driving, like if I drive somewhere far by myself, I have to be really careful, um, like really careful because I do fall asleep yeah. easily in cars. Um, just the other night, I went out with my friends, and I always worry that I'm going to fall asleep because we stay out late, and by late I mean anything past like 10:40. <laughs> like, like I just get sleepy. Like I can fall asleep really easily. Um, And so my world was really rocked in perimenopause with both insomnia and hot flashes. And it was life-changing in a really terrible way. And I've gone through bouts, my, my real struggle with hot flashes before I had them um, treated was almost four solid months of not good sleep. And I would say close to no sleep at night. And I'd catch cat naps during the day because I just couldn't sleep due to the hot flashes. And then I've also struggled in perimenopause with uh, insomnia, you know, waking in the middle of the night, not usually falling asleep. Usually I'm a pretty good faller, a sleeper, but um, waking 
in the middle of the night and being up for hours and hours and hours. Um, and so I have a lot of compassion for people who struggle with both of those because I definitely have, and I have strategies now that, um, you know, that I've learned from professionals that definitely have helped. Um, and hopefully we can share some of those with you guys today and they'll help you. Yeah, we sure will. So many people can relate to both of what you said. And I'm going to briefly touch on my experience. I too was an excellent sleeper up until 2020, really, I'd say. Mm. I mean, I had no trouble falling asleep. In fact, I would cherish those last few minutes lying in bed where I was like not quite sleeping yet, but super loving being cozy in my bed because I knew when my alarm would go off to like go to Orange Theory in the morning, like it would be, it would all be over and it would feel like a second had passed. And like something happened in 2020, a lot of things happened in 2020, <laughs> uh, but with not me, much of it good, <laughs> exactly a lot of the, So certainly we've all mentioned stress, stress plays into it. The stress happened, but on top of that stress, I was in a really lean place in 2020. And I believe that my body really wanted me to get out of that place. And it was pulling out all the stops to get me to eat more food. And so one of those things was waking me up in the middle of the night hungry. Cause I was not just waking up. I was waking up hungry and not, and being like thinking about, I couldn't think about anything but food. And it was really confounding to me because I was eating a good amount during the day, but it wasn't so much for me at that time, the quantity of food as it was just the level of leanness that I was working hard to maintain. And I'm pretty sure that that is what kicked off a lot of my sleep troubles and, and got me into, I thought a quick fix would just be like an over-the-counter Tylenol PM and like one day turned into two weeks and then like it just, it, it all blew up from there. So I can almost pinpoint like the month it all went bad for me and I'm just coming out of it like now, to be honest, here we are almost exactly two years later. So it is a struggle. It is a struggle we've all dealt with. And um, we're going to talk more about uh, maybe some common sleep disruptors that you wouldn't think of. And then also how to kind of mitigate the ones that are just going on in our lives that everybody experiences. So where should we start? Any ideas? Anyone want to like jump on this and and, and carry it forward with, with where we should go first? Well, yeah, I think talking about like common reasons we struggle with sleep is a good, is a good place to go. Let's do that. Yeah. Common reasons we struggle with sleep. Well, I listed uh, one of the biggies for me, which is perimenopause. It's terrible. Perimenopause and menopause really does uh, ramp up insomnia and hot flashes, both. And some people struggle with both or just one. Um, that's a common one. And another one that has really uh, been present for a lot of the clients that I have is stress you know, stress about all kinds of things, stress about their parents that they're taking care of, stress about kids, um, that kind of, you can't quiet your mind down. That's a big one I come across in my clients. Mars, what about you? Anything you can add? Oh, well, I mean, I totally agree with the stress. And I was saying that about myself earlier. Like, I really do feel like that was the trigger for my sleep issues. I mean, like, I wouldn't say it was insomnia, but borderline and kind of to your point, like the mental stress, the emotional stress for sure. Um, and definitely the rumination in the middle of the night, the monkey mind. So you wake up and, you know, immediately a thought comes in and then it just spirals from there. And now you're thinking of all of the things. So yeah, I can agree with that. But then Katie, kind of what you were saying, like now I'm thinking back and yeah, I don't think that my physical health was in a good place, even though I was doing all of the healthy things, but probably, you know, too lean, like not needing enough calories, overworking, over-exercising, just like not 
getting a good balance of uh, work to recovery. So I do think that that was one of the things that impacted my sleep for sure. Um, and even, you know, I am really big on blood sugar. So I was testing my fasting blood glucose around that time. And it was in the like high nineties to hundreds, which is like pre-diabetic. And like, that was not normal. I'm like, uh, I, I work out, I get movement, I eat really well, like what's going on here. And I think that was just a sign that my body was like physically under stress. Mm -hmm. So now that, you know, I'm making those improvements, things have gotten really, or have gotten a lot better, both with my sleep and my blood sugar, which is amazing. Um, so anyway, kind of like, that's my, my tangent on the stress. Cause I agree. That's probably number one. And then I really think that the artificial light or the lack of real light that we are not exposed to. So I've been talking about this on my stories pretty much every single day, you know, going outside, getting sunlight in your eyes within the first hour of waking. So that is going to set your circadian rhythm. It basically sends a signal to your brain or to your body that, okay, we need to be awake. It's time to be up. And, and also it helps with like energy and alertness and focus throughout the day, but then it turns off your melatonin. So the light will turn off your like melatonin essentially. And melatonin is what makes you sleepy. So it sends the signal like, okay, you're up right now, but 14, 16 hours from now is when you should be asleep. So then that melatonin production will kick in. But then if you are looking at bright light, whether that's the phone, the tablet, the TV, you know, in the couple of hours before you're going to bed, then now that, that melatonin production is getting suppressed. So mm-hmm. it's really hard for you to actually fall asleep when you do not have that sleep hormone, so to speak. So I think light is so undervalued and I'm actually like thinking about it now. And I'm like, okay, is this like correlation or causation back when I was really having a hard time sleeping, I was getting up at the crack of dawn, like and, you know, not getting any sunlight in my eyes. So I'm like, oh, was there maybe like a disruption in my circadian rhythm at that time? And then, yeah, like, you know, looking at screens up until the very minute that I went to bed, even though I knew better. So, so Mars, yeah. I found out in recent months. Um, so uh, Dr. Shelby Harris, she's a sleep uh, psychologist. Uh, you can find her on Instagram at sleep doc Shelby. And I had heard from somewhere else. So I was quizzing her on it recently. She's been on my podcast a couple of times. Um, we've done lives together. And I said, Hey, I'm hearing that, uh, there's newer research out saying that the, like the blue light is not the big deal we thought it was. And she's like, yeah, she's like, it's still kind of questionable, but it's looking like maybe it's not the light itself, uh, like at night close to bed, but it's actually the stimulation of what you're watching reading there, but that the blue light itself, you know, like everybody's doing these blue light blockers that the light itself messing with our, um, circadian rhythm is not necessarily what they're thinking it is anymore. It's the consumption of what they're actually, it's the, yes, it's the stimulation. Yeah. Well, I will say this. And again, is it correlation or causation? But I, I've gotten like really into I shouldn't say I'm getting into interior decorating, but I'm trying to finish furnishing my apartment. (laughs) And I have really been going down the rabbit hole of all of these design blogs. So before I go to bed, I will scroll and I'm not looking at anything that is, yeah, like 
making me anxious. Like I'm actually looking at things that are more enjoyable. Mm. So I don't go to bed with that racing mind or mm. anything that, you know what I mean? So who knows? I mean, there's something to it, but yeah, no, I, I agree a hundred percent that your thoughts are going to impact your sleep. And so if you are reading anything that is stimulating, that is stressing you out, that is going to certainly have an, or have um, an impact. I'll add one more to the list of things too. And it is related also to consumption. And I know I spoke briefly about um, how eating too little, I think can affect it. I also think if you eat a huge amount of food, very close to bedtime, you can also have issues. And again, there's no magic number, magic time where you should or shouldn't be eating. In fact, I, I always, I found having a snack before bed to be very beneficial to me. But if you're someone who either intermittent fasts or like hoards their calories for the evening and then just gets a whole bunch of them in within two hours of the time you're supposed to go to bed, your body's going to have a really hard time diverting the energy from your digestion to what it needs to rebuild and repair while you sleep. And so you will be disrupted during that night sleep because of that inability to process. So, and for some people that also leads to GI issues, right? So like I, under doctor's orders, no, I'm not supposed to eat within two hours of bedtime. Um, and so that's something to really look at too. I think that's a good point, Katie. And it's going to be different for every people, every people, every person. Like I have some clients and they really struggle with the idea of going to bed too hungry. And so a nighttime snack that's lighter Mm -hmm. and it doesn't cause them GI distress works for them. For other people, they really can't eat within several hours of bedtime. So this is definitely one of those like practice, try it out and see what works for you things. It's the Goldilocks thing. Like you really yeah. can't follow somebody else and be like, well, they, they get good sleep. So I'm going to do exactly what they do. Yeah. No, like I, like I said, I need to have a snack before bed every night now. Um, and it's small. It's something like a, a, a small cup of yogurt with some berries or a small handful of nuts or some last night I had some edamame and it's, it's not a meal. It is for sure a snack, but it's what I need to fall asleep easily and stay asleep throughout the night. And when I did um, have the CGM glucose monitor on, I found that when I ate certain things right before bed, it would wake me up and other things would not. So for me, I found some things that really helped me kind of even keel, keep my blood sugar um, steady the entire night. And they always have fat in them and they always have some protein in them. And that's that's just what works for me. So um, it might take you a minute, but don't, discard the idea of having something before bed because it scares you for any number of reasons that culture tells you it could be wrong because that may not be the case for you or like you said Kim it you know some people actually do need that break so Katie I'm curious really quick so when you were wearing the the CGM were you noticing that what you were eating before bed was spiking your blood sugar or was it making it drop uh, it was, it was spiking it and then it was dropping. And, dropping. and yeah, that, that's often like why people do wake up in the middle of the night is like they have a blood sugar drop. And yeah. so then your body releases cortisol to like get your blood right. sugar up and then that will wake you up too. So yeah. that, that yeah. was a, a huge eye opener for me. And again, I don't, I don't think everybody needs a CGM to figure this out. No. I think you just need to do a little bit of really mindful experimenting. So, I mean, most, most of us, most people listening to this podcast know how to track their food. So if you have a really rough night's sleep and you're eating the same thing day in and day out at the same time, maybe change something around. For me, it was as simple as starting my day with, um, I, or I, I wasn't doing, okay. Ending my day with something that wasn't sweet. So instead of having like a, a shake, 
with like peanut butter and chocolate and all sorts of things as the last last meal of the night, I would have something like, you know, hard boiled eggs or any of the things I just sort of mentioned. And it wasn't like, I get people want this like giant massive like dessert treat at the end of the night. But for me, that was doing me no favors. And I did it for like years and I've gotten away from it. Uh, I still have the treats and the things that I want during my day, but I just don't do it within two hours of bedtime because I know it will cause me disruptions in my sleep. Mm. Interesting. Um, and then speaking of things that we consume, a big one, caffeine. Mm. So Kim, I know that you don't deal with this because you don't drink caffeine. And um, I actually do not drink. Well, I brought caffeine back into my life recently, but for a long time, I was drinking coffee, a couple cups of coffee a day, but decaf, just because I know that my adrenals are very sensitive to caffeine. Uh, and I don't think that the small amount in coffee, you know, first thing of the day was impacting my sleep, but some people are very sensitive to it. And in the, you don't know this unless you actually do genetic testing, which I did, but you can be either a slow metabolizer or a fast metabolizer of caffeine. So someone who is a slow metabolizer, that caffeine is going to stay in their system for a lot longer. So if you know that, okay, even at 12 o'clock, that mm -hmm. cup of coffee or that diet Coke or whatever it is, is impacting my sleep. Well, then maybe you need to make some changes there. I mean, I, I think I'm a fast metabolizer because I can drink a diet Coke right before bed and like fall right asleep. Um, but everybody is different. So I think experimenting with one, how much caffeine you are consuming and being honest about that, because it can cause disruptions and a lot of things, not just sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you are noticing like, okay, yeah, I drink coffee or I drink caffeine in the afternoon and I have sleep issues. Well, maybe I'm going to experiment with not cutting it out completely, but, you know, cutting it off at a certain time. So maybe if that's 12 o'clock, maybe it's three o'clock for somebody else. It's just like you said, Katie, it's going to take experimentation, but that's a big one for sure. I had to do a caffeine audit myself because I thought, oh, I'm just going to try to get rid of my morning coffee and see how I do, see if I'm really as addicted as I thought I was. And I got rid of that. And I was like, okay. But then when I really looked at my day, I was like, well, shoot, I'm getting caffeine in drinks that I don't realize have caffeine in them, like bubbler, in chocolate, in um, tea, things that I would Wait, consume. Did you say bubbly, like the sparkling water? Bubbler, bubbler. Oh, but the sparkling bubbler? Bubbler is like a spark, like a flavored sparkling water but it's got caffeine in it. It's oh. super hot. And all the kids that shouldn't be getting caffeine are drinking it right now. And <laughs> my, my never heard of that brand. friends come over and beg me to take them to target to go buy them bubblers. So I had, and I did, cause I had no idea there was caffeine in it until somebody mm -hmm. saw my eight-year-old drinking it at eight o'clock at night. They were like, can she go to bed? And I was like, I know. So this is my point. Make sure, you know, if you are consuming caffeine, cause I had no idea um, and, and it may, you may be getting a lot more than you think. It may not just be that morning cup of coffee in your day that you're getting. Cause that's certainly how it was for me. And that, that has a ripple effect as well. Cause the half-life on caffeine is a lot longer than you think it is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I do want to talk, uh, I want, let's switch gears a little bit and, uh, talk about how to manage seasons of life when you just can't optimize sleep for a variety of reasons. Um, and I think this podcast probably reaches people between the ages of, you know, having very young children to entering and living in menopause. So let's, let's touch on both ends and then everything in between as well. So, um, Kim, do you want to start us off and, and give us some suggestions about like how to manage those times? 
when we're not getting enough sleep. Yeah. When you're not getting enough sleep to still not just like hang up your hat on everything that's important to you and your goals. Yeah. So obviously we want you to be able to work on trying to maximize your sleep quality and sleep quantity. And we're going to, I think we're going to talk about that in a minute, but at the same time, looking at how does lack of sleep typically impact you negatively and what can you do to mitigate those things? For a lot of people I work with, they, there's a real connection between lack of sleep and struggle losing weight. And it's important to know that that is not like a direct correlation. It's not like I don't get enough sleep, therefore I can't lose weight or I don't get enough sleep. Therefore I'm gaining weight. What happens there? Many things happen. You know, we have, we can have an increase in cravings an increase in hunger, a decrease in satiety, often a decrease in movement, right? Like our need to just down-regulate that amount that our body spontaneously moves, like that we're moving down-regulates. We don't feel, um, the ability to push hard in the gym or to even like dedicated exercise, like really go and do it because we're tired. So what happens? We end up eating more things. We end up eating more hyperpalatable things. We end up not moving as much and not going to the gym as much. Do we see why weight loss can tend to be a struggle then at times of lack of sleep? And so really pinpointing what you can do to help yourself along with those. For like the idea of low movement, pushing yourself earlier in the day when you do have some energy to get more movement in, like using your step tracker. That's why step trackers are such a great tool. They don't magically make you move more, but they can really help you be aware of how much you are or are not moving. And if you're somebody who's struggling with lack of sleep and you're working on that and you still want to try and lose weight or maintain your weight, look for those times that you can maximize your movement. And for a lot of people, that is going to be earlier in the day, right? We get up, we get moving, and we know come that afternoon slump and certainly later in the evening, we're not going to want to move. And so really top loading your day with movement. If you can get outside, that's really going to help because like Marcy said, getting that sunlight in your eyes can really help um, with actually getting more and better sleep. And so that's one really good one is getting that movement in early. I've got lots more, but I'll let Mars take a turn. Yeah, no, I love that, Kim. And I think, you know, kind of looking for ways where you can increase your like neurotransmitters that will help with energy and motivation. So for me, like a dopamine fix, uh, I do a cold shower every single morning. I know it's not for everybody, but on the days where like a couple of days ago, I did not get great, did not get great sleep. I woke up feeling pretty much like hungover because what happened was I woke up in the middle of the night. It took me a while to fall asleep. And so I was like, all right, I'm not going, I'm going to shut off my alarm just so that if I, you know, can sleep a little bit longer, I will. Typically I don't do that because your body really does thrive on consistency. So that's another thing that I want to mention. I forgot. And this is very, very important going to waking up and going to bed around the same time every night, as often as you can. So really, I think that there's, uh, it's a myth that you can like catch up on sleep over the weekend. And that really is, I think it's getting debunked. So, you know, I'm not saying like every single day you have to wake up at the same time, like a drill sergeant, but yeah, like, let's say within a 30 to to one hour window, um, because again, that's going to help set your circadian rhythm. So going back to what I was saying, you know, I let myself sleep in a little bit longer and I woke up and I felt like I was, you know, hungover or jet lagged or something like that, which also another thing, don't hit snooze. Mm -hmm. So 
I know that's a really big, uh, or it's a common thing for people when they feel like they did not get enough sleep or like they just don't want to get out of bed. They keep hitting snooze and same thing like it does cause some disruption and then you wake up feeling groggy. So, um, the days that I do not get good sleep, I jump in the cold shower and that kind of like, it alerts me, it gets me going. Uh, and then I will immediately drink a glass of water because that's hydrating, that's energizing. And then I will go outside get that sunlight in my eyes, get the movement. And I feel like that just helps with, yeah, dopamine, epinephrine, all of that. So you're like creating that, that energy, like internally, even if you don't have a lot because of the lack of sleep. And I love what you said, Kim, because as the day goes on, you likely are going to get more tired for sure. Um, so, and then also just remember like movement is energy and this is not movement in the sense of getting on the Peloton and doing a hit workout or getting into the gym and doing a really heavy lift, but just like moving your body by going for a walk. Like I know the days where I'm exhausted. I'm like, Oh, I just do not want to get up and move when I like after five minutes or so the energy starts to kick in. Yes. But, um, I, oh, I, would, I would add to that about you know, reducing stress. Cause basically let's remember lack of sleep is a stress that's adding yeah. another stress into your bucket that you're going to have to replenish. And so if your solve for that is a hit workout, because it's going to make you feel better in the moment, you're really just pounding yourself deeper. And you can kind of see how this cycle can pick up speed and become chronic when it's not managed. So yeah. when you have those times, those weeks, those months, when it's just so, so hard, be gentle with yourself, find something. Maybe you're someone who identifies with being in the gym three to four days a week, but going and having a solid workout in the gym today isn't on the menu for you. For whatever reason, you realize it's just not a good plan. Replace that with something else, but make sure it's something that also helps your goals. For my clients, I used to suggest take that hour that you were going to be in the gym and meal prep for the week. Set everything up so you can have success in another way. Maybe it's setting out your kids' school clothes for the week. I mean, it doesn't have to be that, but something that will help you another way use that time because we're all busy people. Everybody has stuff going on. And as much as I'd love to say, just take it and sit in the chair and read a book and relax. I know that most people are not going to take that advice. They really want to take their precious daytime hours and, and, and put them toward their goals, but just switch gears, shift directions, find another way to make a self-honoring choice and something you can really be proud of that doesn't also pummel you into the ground. Mm. That's a really good one, Katie. Um, that's definitely what I work with my members on. Uh, as far as if you are struggling with lack of sleep and so you're choosing a lot of the hyper palatable, low effort foods is really making it just as easy to choose the healthy choice, the weight loss friendly choice, you mm -hmm. know, making that like stupid easy. So whether that means like making some freezer meals when you do have time, like saying like, all right, the once this week, I'm going to find some time when I have energy. And like you said, maybe it's instead of going to the gym and you're going to make some batches of chili to put in the freezer or coming up with just a list of like, it's just as easy to do this as it is to order pizza kind of food. So that when you're feeling those low energy moments and you're like, I'm not cooking dinner for this family tonight, like we're getting pizza that you could actually be like, all right, no, like we're going to we're going to get the rotisserie chicken and the bag salad and slice up the apple. And that's what we're going to do. And those are the kinds of things that can really help a person um, align their choices with their goals, even in seasons when they're not sleeping well. Mm -hmm. I think there can be like a lot of, you know, guilt and shame around eating the food, like overeating 
in these cases when you're sleep, I mean, in general, but, but when you're sleep deprived, you know, like, and going for those hyperpalatable foods, but really like, think about it, give yourself grace. Like you were saying, Katie, because it's a survival mechanism. Like it is your brain's way of trying to, or body's way of trying to get energy, you mm-hmm. know? So like, it doesn't really know the difference between, um, like you being sleep deprived and you being like in a famine, so to speak. So it's like, okay, what is this quick way that I can get energy? And that is going to be, yes, the hyper palatable, higher carb foods for sure. So just like have that awareness and give yourself the grace. If you do go to those, because it's just your body doing, trying to keep you alive. So it's like, thank you body for trying to keep me safe, but yeah. you know, I'm going to try to put in other practices to that are a little bit more self-honoring and I don't have kids. So I can really control my environment, what comes into the house, but I know that's not the case for everybody. So for those parents who are listening and you have to buy your kids, the sugary snacks or the goldfish crackers or whatever it is. And that is kind of your Achilles heel when you are sleep deprived and you want that quick hit of energy. Well, can you at least curate, curate your environment? Kind of like you were saying, Kim, make the healthier foods easier to see, and then put those snack type foods that you might gravitate towards in an opaque container at the bottom of the pantry, something like that. So at least it's out of sight, out of mind, and then really focus on prioritizing protein because that is going to fill you up. It's going to stabilize your blood sugar. So you're not going to be having those like ups and downs, um, that you would, if you were eating those other types of foods. I'm so glad you brought up that guilt and shame piece, Marcy, because that again is going to be another cycle that you can absolutely get into that will turn into self-sabotage. If you start to just fixate on the feelings that you're having about yourself after you eat something or do something you wish you hadn't, as certainly as a result of being sleep deprived, which like I think we've we've hammered this in that this is at our core, this is you know evolutionary and, and we do this because our brains want to keep us alive and hyperpalatable foods are quick energy. So step away from the guilt. It happened, okay? Acceptance precedes change, right? So it is behind you. You are not a bad person. Food has no morality. It's fine. Your body is doing exactly what it's supposed to do and keeping you healthy. So thank you. Like you said, I like that. Thank your body for that. And then move on with some of those things. So ladies, I want to circle back real quick to what Marcy was saying about picking up the phone in the middle of the night and scrolling TikTok or Instagram, because we all do this too. And I'll tell you, I do it sometimes from a place of desperation. Like when I've been up for a long time and I'm just so frustrated, I'm like, I can't lay here another second. I'm at least going to go to my office and, and turn on the computer, maybe get some work done. If I'm really good, I'll, I'll, you know, try and go get a book, but sometimes that doesn't even work for me. So I feel like it's like this throwing my hands in the air kind of move when I start to scroll through Instagram. And I wish I had some ways to sort of get myself back into sleep. I'm not good at this. So I'm going to ask you, what are your suggestions? So um, this is something I talked about in in great detail with um, Dr. Harris. And she was saying that the real key is getting out of bed. Like you shouldn't stay in bed wrestling with sleep. And so you should get out of bed And then the goal is to keep yourself busy in dim light, doing something that is not stimulating. Mm -hmm. And so she said, the thing you're doing isn't really what matters. 
what you're not trying to make yourself sleepy because that's really can be stress inducing, right? You're just trying to keep yourself busy until you start to feel sleepy. And so she said, anything you can do in dim light, that's calming. So reading a book, listening to a podcast, um, those are two, I definitely, uh, would tend to think about doing, um, if you're somebody who like knits or something, like something you could do in low light, that's going to quiet your brain, um, without trying to make yourself be sleepy. Cause that's what a lot, and that's certainly what I thought. I thought we're supposed to try and find something that actually induces sleep. But what we're really looking to do is find things that are going to pass the time. And I too, Katie, I am really guilty of that. I would often find myself when I was struggling with either hot flashes or insomnia being like, all right, I'm going to be super tired tomorrow. And so I'm going to get my work done now. I'm up, right? And so I would come down here to my office and I would work. Sometimes I would work from like two to five thirty or six and then go back to bed. And like I, it was kind of like a survival thing. Like it has to get done at some time. But it definitely it was not helping. Um, and then along with that is we can actually change the way we think about our sleep. And you can for sure get a professional to help with this, you know, doing cognitive behavioral therapy is like the gold standard for insomnia. So if you have like actual insomnia, getting somebody to help you with that, but even those of us who just sometimes struggle with like, I'm not sleeping, we tend to do this thing where we we're watching the clock and we start thinking like, I have, if I sleep now, I've got, I get six hours. If I sleep now, I get, I only get five hours. Right. So we start doing this. So stop the clock watching and start challenging those thoughts and be like, okay, because what do we all say? Like, I'm not going to be able to function tomorrow. Like I'm not going to be able to function tomorrow. And so question those thoughts. Like, is that really true? Will you really not be able to function? Have you functioned before on low sleep to kind of really ratchet down the emotion of like must sleep now because that's not helping us. Oh, I love that. And I'm going to kind of piggyback uh, on the CBT and suggest like having sleep mantras. So if you know that you struggle with sleep just in general, and it's, I mean, you can use this if you wake up in the middle of the night and it's just an occasional thing and you can't fall back asleep. Or if you are someone who really like legit struggles more often than not having some type of sleep mantra to kind of rewire your brain. So I fall asleep peacefully and easily something like that. And just like repeat that over and over again, as you are falling asleep or as you're trying to fall asleep. And then I also like deep breathing. Um, so you can do this like right before bed or as you're falling asleep, you know, like some box breathing, that's you know, four or five seconds in holding for four to five seconds, four to five seconds on the way out. That can really help kind of calm your nervous system and put you into that more relaxed state. Uh, and then I do a sleep meditation. So not necessarily before I go to sleep, but I will put it on, I use insight timer and I will put it on as I am trying to fall asleep. And for whatever reason that has been really helpful. Uh, and then kind of piggybacking on that, another thing that you can do if you did not get a good night's sleep, and I've done this a couple of times now is like, let's say you don't have time for a full on nap, uh, which can be helpful. I, I think the studies say like, don't go past 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're going to, if you have the ability to nap, like that's okay. But if you don't doing something called um, non-sleep yoga nidra, it's called non-sleep deep rest. And there are YouTube videos, like you can do it for 10 minutes and it's a script that you listen to and it puts you in a relaxed state, but it basically like mimics sleep. 
So that can be something that you try. What during was the, the second day. word you said? Yoga. Yoga Nidra. N-I-D-R-A. So I'll send Katie a link she can put in the show notes. Um, but that's a, a protocol that my boyfriend, even though he doesn't know he's my boyfriend, Andrew Huberman, um, that he recommends. <laughs> oh my God. He's so cute. Um, yeah. He you have multiple boyfriends who don't I know, know your boyfriend. No, I, I feel like it's only Andrew Cooperman. Anyway. I'm um, not naming the other one. <laughs> well, offline. I can't even think. Oh, I know who this is. Or the guy <laughs> in the gym. Yes. I, know. Know, right? I get to see him in um, an hour and a half, actually. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. <laughs> um, and their girlfriends definitely don't know that. <laughs> Uh, yeah. but anyway, so yeah, Dr. Huberman, he talks about the non-sleep deep rest and it is really nice. It's just, it's relaxing, but it can kind of mimic sleep. Um, so that, and then gosh, what else was I going to say? I think I've lost my train of thought. You were talking about, uh, like this insight timer. Also, if you don't want to do a, a meditation, they have like, like sleep waves that, that sort of go on the same, um, Oh, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. That's the what wave. it is. Yeah, that's what it is. Same it's the, like the wave the, four, the 428 HZ. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, if you don't, if you is. can't find like Brain FM is another app that provides that. Insight Timer has that. I always sleep with that type of white noise in the background. And I found that that's really effective for me too in not waking up at all. Mm. And the one other thing I'll add to if I do wake <sighs> up, things that have helped me. I will go and make a cup of um, certainly not caffeinated tea and just a warm drink is, is soothing enough for me and usually puts me to sleep faster than reading or anything that, that even a lo- like you said, Kim, a low level activity, almost anything keeps me going, but just sipping tea silently um, in the, the dim light of a candle in my office, something like that is, it has been beneficial to me too. So yes, getting, I think we agree, getting out of bed is definitely mm-hmm. like, yeah. I use, I use one called either use insight timer or one called RX noise, which is mm. noise. And that can be really helpful as well. And then a couple other things to support sleep, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, shutting your brain off. So mm-hmm. doing a brain dump before bed, so you get all of those thoughts onto paper and now they are you know, hopefully out of your mind. So mm-hmm. it kind of shuts off the, the racing thoughts that can be helpful. Or if you wake up in the middle of the night and you're having that do the same thing, kind of like what you were saying, Kim, get up out of bed and then write down all of those thoughts that you're having, or even like your freaking to-do list for the next day, mm-hmm. just so you're not thinking about it. Yeah. 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 And there's even research to support the idea that doing meditation earlier in the day, not even at sleep time or when you're struggling with sleep, sleep, doing that can help you at night because it's just like when you're working out, it strengthens that muscle. So you learn how to quiet your brain better Mm -hmm. when you are, when it is nighttime and you start having those racing thoughts that you are practiced in how to quiet your brain. Yes. Amazing. And then a couple of other, I think just tangible tips. I mean, I having a sleep routine is very nice. Like it's going to look different for everybody. So um, also realizing that temperature does play a role. I mean, I know Kim, you were talking about hot flashes and like, sometimes you cannot help that you're experiencing a hot, hot flash, but we really do need to be in a cool environment to help with sleep. So one, making sure that your room is cool enough somewhere between, I don't know, like 66 to 68 degrees. 
and then trying to drop your core body temperature. So especially in summer months when we're hot, taking a warm shower before bed will actually help. I mean, it sounds counterintuitive, but that will help reduce your core body temperature and then sleeping in a cool room. Uh, and then for me, like I have to wear a sleep mask just so no bright light gets in. So it's that or blackout curtains, but any type of light is going to be very stimulating for sure. Yeah. Two things, you know, it shocked me when I found out how cold we're supposed to be keeping our rooms to sleep. Cause I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like the idea of cold, but yeah, like 60 to 67 degrees. Like that's really cold in my book, but yeah. it for sure helps. I have found two products recently that I was like, Oh, if I had had these, when I was having hot flashes, this would have been really, really helpful. I have very minimal hot flashes now because I've been treated with HRT, mm -hmm. um, MHT. That's, that's what we're supposed to be calling it these days. Menopause hormone therapy. I've been treated with that. And so my hot flashes are rare, but I still get an occasional one, but two things I've found recently, I'm like, this would have really helped one. I have this ice roller. Have I shown you guys this? Have you seen that? I've used oh, it on my stories. Yeah. It, you just take this thing and it, and you put it in your freezer and it's a metal rod and somebody messaged me and she told me she, when I was, I just used it. Cause I think it feels good and helps with like headache pain. But she said, I'm going to start putting that in a cooler next to my bed for when I wake up with hot flashes, because it's like icy cold and you can just roll it on your head and your chest. So that's one thing. And the other thing, um, cozy earth sheets who like, I'm not sponsored by them, but they did yes. send me sheets a while back. I don't understand I how it works. They're literally cold to the touch. Like you're laying there and the sheets feel cold. Kim, Katie, have you my cozy earth shirt? Yes, I, I do have, I'm a big cozy earth fan. I've talked about them so many times. I do have a discount that I, I won't share it here, but if anyone wants it, they can DM yeah. me. I'm an enormous supporter of cozy earth sheets for this exact reason. I'm I don't like, know how they keep make their sheets feel cold. I touched them and I'm like, that's weird. And then I get in bed. <laughs> I love them. Too. Like their PJs, their shirts, their robes. They even, I mean, they've got towels now, but like the sheets are magic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, really want to try those. Mm, yes. It's it, there, they're, you know, and I'll tell you guys, don't ever, um, pay more. Don't pay. I think currently I have a discount that's like 40% off. And during the holidays, they always go, they let my discount go to 50% off. So if you're someone who can like wait until September or October, you can get them 50% off. So that's like, nice. cause they're an investment. Like, let's be honest. They're definitely not the sheets that you're going to find at Bed Bath & Beyond. Um, but if you want to make that, like the best time to buy them is at the end of the year. Awesome gift too, I guess. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Um, and real quick, because we were kind of talking about this offline, like, do we want to touch on supplements that have helped us? Yeah. Or wants to, uh, or wants to use that. Magnesium is definitely a good one. Um, mm -hmm. I started using magnesium. Dr. Heather Hirsch suggested that, uh, to me. And so that's definitely a great one. Mm -hmm. Marcia, what about you? Uh, yeah, I use a product called AndroCalm that my coach gives me. It's one of his products that he created and it's magnesium inositol and L-theanine. And it has been a game changer. I will say that definitely helpful. Is it like a capsule or how do you take it? Powder. Powder. And Powder, so you, yeah. mix, you mix it with water or? Yeah, just mix it with water and take it about like half an hour before bed. Well, we'll, we'll link all these. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll make sure that we get all the show notes. I have a, a powder that I love too, um, from a, a brand called beam and it has a number, it has all the, the sleep supplement, like the, the top tier Cadillac of sleep supplements. It's got L-theanine, magnesium, CBD, melatonin, and I can't remember the last one, but it's, 
I found like I've tried them all separately. I've tried them all in different arrangements. And this is by far the first supplement I've found that has been really beneficial to me. And I think a lot of it is because it really embraces a nighttime ritual for me. I have it in some warm cashew milk. It's really um, soothing. And it just like, I time it with the sun. Like as the sun is setting, that's when I have it. And it'll be a little bit different come fall and winter when it's dark at 5.15. I can't have this drink that early, but currently it's been working out really nicely for me. So, I mean, nobody, as far as, you know, supplements go, I think it's just a lot of trial and error for people. Like there's no one size fits all with supplements and you kind of have to remember that too. So be careful and be mindful when you do take advantage or when you do take um, note of what other people are, are using for their supplement routine, because it's not one size fits all. Absolutely. Anything else, ladies, that you want to, any final thoughts on the importance of sleep? Anything we want to wrap up here? Or do you think we got it all out there? I think my notes. Yeah, I think I want to wrap up just with kind of what you were saying, Katie, like the importance of sleep mm-hmm. and that it is the most crucial thing that you can do for your overall health. Like physique goals aside, we know there, again, studies have come out that if you are in a fat loss phase and you're getting less than six and a half hours of sleep, that you're actually more um, predisposed to losing muscle, not fat. So like it has so many benefits for your physique goals, but over like for your overall health as well, your cognitive function, your executive functioning, like your mood, like everything, it has a downstream effect on so much in your life, but just you know, making sure that you stay healthy for as long as possible and you ward off disease and all of that. So yeah, the, the importance of sleep cannot be discounted. So even if you're listening to this, you're like, I don't have a problem sleeping at all. Like I don't need your tips and tricks. Well, just remember that sleep is crucial. So make sure that you are not that person who's like, I can sleep when I'm dead because, you know, eventually it's going to catch up with you. So do what you can to get your seven hours minimum, you know, seven to nine hours is kind of the seat spot. Everybody's different in terms of how much they need to feel their best. But yeah, it's one of those things. Like if you are not prioritizing your sleep, you are missing out. And I think too, people don't realize how good they are meant to feel. And so maybe you think that you function fine with six hours or less, but until you actually get enough, you're like, oh, (laughs) what was I missing out on? I didn't realize it. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll just say, uh, ending on my part, if you are a woman who is struggling with hot flashes, don't just say like, this is how it is. Like you don't have to be that way. You don't have to suffer. It's a really big challenge. And so talking to your doctor about menopause hormone therapy, it works really well for a lot of people. If you're not a good candidate for that, like if you're somebody who has had breast cancer and you're not a good candidate for that, another good solution, which is actually could be a solution for anybody, even if you are a candidate for MHT, believe it or not. And I don't know how it works. Cognitive behavioral therapy works for hot flashes. I think Mm -hmm. that is mind blowing. And when I've asked around about it, they're not really sure the mechanism by which it works. It may work by deepening your sleep, but it is shown to work. So those are two really good options if you're struggling with hot flashes. Amazing. Excellent, ladies. Thank you so much for tying it all up so beautifully. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll be back with us again next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Decades of Strength podcast. If you liked this, if it was helpful for you, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review wherever you're listening. It really does help our work get in front of more people. Thanks so much for being here with you and we'll see you again next week.